Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have the steel guitarist for Zach Bryan and Charles Wesley Godwin, Reed Tusho Conley. You're going to hear Reed's story of growing up in Pennsylvania, Buddy Emmons' influence on the steel guitar, and how Reed recorded steel guitar on Zach Bryan's major record, Something in the Orange. And before I get into the episode, I just gotta say, Reed is honestly one of the most humble and nice guys in the music industry. Just a few weeks ago, he played in LA with Zach and Charles. He invited me out to the show, and they put on such a high-energy performance, and the whole crew was all-around great guys. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face, and it'll be okay. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. So I like to get up uh, starting with your upbringing. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, well, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I, I've actually lived there all my life. So I grew up in southeast Pennsylvania, a town called Westchester. Okay. It's a little bit south of Philadelphia. And um, I grew up in a house that had a lot of music. My dad plays guitar and my parents both love music and they were always playing music in the house. Uh, not really country music though. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of um, like the Southern California rock and folk music, you know, Jackson Brown, uh, Linda Ronstadt, Crosby Stills, uh, Grateful Dead, stuff of that elk, Neil Young. Yeah. So I was hearing a lot of steel guitar in that music. Um, so I started taking guitar lessons, standard guitar around, uh, 10. Gotcha. And so I was very, very into guitar, but it was when I was in college and then I moved to, uh, the other side of Pennsylvania, I moved to Pittsburgh, which is where I live now. That's when I, I just took a chance and bought a lap steel. Gotcha. So I was about 19 and I uh, was already very comfortable on guitar, but I was like, this, this is the sound that I'm really interested in. And I'm, I'm chasing. So I just pretty much on a whim, just bought a lap steel and started teaching myself. Now going back to your upbringing, would you say that Grateful Dead and uh, Neil Young, those artists are some of the first people that got you like interested into music and was it the steel guitar you were hearing? Was it the lyrics? Yeah, I mean, I think when when I was growing up, uh, the music that was playing in my house is I didn't really listen to the radio so much. So it was mostly my parents' music collection. Um, so, you know, the big bands were definitely like the Talking Heads, the Clash, um, Fleetwood Mac. So I'm hearing a lot of different styles of slide guitar and steel guitar mixed in. And I didn't necessarily know what it was, but it was just always catching my ear. Mm -hmm. And then when I, when I started to get more into uh, newer music, my dad was particularly, um, he was particularly tuned into the, the um, alternative country Mm -hmm. world in the nineties. So 
like he he had CDs from Wilco, the Jayhawks, Counting Crows, um, Sunvolt. So I was starting to hear more prominent steel guitar there. Uh, one of my early concert memories is he took me to see Wilco. Wow. Probably about 20, 20 years ago. Uh, they were touring on Yankee Foxtrot Hotel. And um, just such an impactful concert for me. And so I really became a huge fan of theirs. And uh, especially early on, they have a lot of pedal steel. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, Nels Klein plays lap steel. Um, their latest album has a lot of country, you know, but um, they, they've just always had steel guitar in interesting ways interspersed into their music. So I think maybe that's, even though I didn't grow up listening to country music, I've just always appreciated the, the touch and the sound of steel guitar and where it can find its place in the song. So you talked about when you first got your steel now, did you teach yourself off a of Jimmy Day or Buddy Emmons tuning? And what was your decision behind that? So um, that's a great question. Um, that's some in, inside baseball, steel guitar questions. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandpa uh, for telling me Yes. <laughs> um, so I started out on lap steel. And uh, when I bought my lap steel, I was as green as could be. I didn't know the difference between lap steel and pedal steel. I didn't know the different tunings. I basically just Googled what's the best lap steel tuning to start with. It was C6, mm -hmm. which uh, is a very popular tuning still. I mean, I, I teach it uh, to students now. Um, and it's very prominent in Hawaiian music in classic country and Western swing. Mm -hmm. But um, it's funny because like the background where I'm coming from, what was catching my ear with like more like rock and like um, Americana tinges, it was not C6 at all. But I, that's what I learned on. That's where I kind of learned how, how to play with a steel, how to play, how to understand open tuning on the fretboard. So I started on that. Then I bought a Dobro, learned open G tuning. And then when I got my first job and I saved up enough money, I could afford a pedal steel because as your grandpa probably has told you, they are not cheap. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I was, uh, my, my, one of my early heroes uh, and influences is a man named Bob Hoffner. Mm -hmm. um, really great steel guitarist based in Austin. And I met him because uh, I was playing with this band in Pittsburgh. Um, this, they're one of the uh, biggest bands in Pittsburgh in the country music scene, the Beagle Brothers. Totally, yep. And I, I played with them for uh, over 10 years. So I was playing a show. We were opening for Wayne Hancock mm -hmm. from Austin. Bob was playing steel with him at that time. I struck up a friendship with him. And he offered to help me buy my first pedal steel. That's special. And it was very special. And he was the one that recommended Emmons mm -hmm. uh, tuning and pedals. And again, I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, just, you know, I'm like 22. And I'm like, I just like the sound of it. That I don't know the rest, but I'm just going to figure it out. Now, talking so, about Emmons, like, yeah. He's actually from my mm -hmm. hometown of uh, South Bend, Indiana. And uh, 
like, where do you think, would we even have a pedal steel without him? Like, what's his impact on the steel community? Oh, man. Well, I just finished reading his uh, autobiography. Mm -hmm. So if anyone, if anyone's like interested in the history of steel guitar, especially from Buddy Emmons perspective, highly, highly recommend that book. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think his influence cannot be, uh, it cannot be overstated at all. Um, you know, the, the steel guitar was already very prominent in uh, country and Western swing at that point. And there were a lot of different companies that had the concept of what pedal steel could be. But what they thought initially was instead of having multiple necks with multiple tunings, you would just use the pedals to switch between tunings. Okay. So it was more, it was more functional than mm -hmm. performative. So you would just, if you want to play an E instead of A, you just hold these pedals down and oh. just play the licks as if you're an E. And it's, it's another buddy, Bud Isaacs, that came up with the, the first recording with Webb Pierce to play uh, with a pedal movement. Mm -hmm. So the song is slowly and he's using the pedal to move between uh, an E and an A shape. And that's the sound that made pedal steel like catch on like wildfire in the fifties. Mm -hmm. Buddy though, is the one that said, wait a second, let's take that one pedal and split it into two so that you can actually hear the different notes bending at different times. Yeah. That's so sick. And, and, he, as he says in the book, he wasn't like, it's not like he was the first person to think of it, but he was one of the more popular steel guitars uh, at the time. He was with little Jimmy Dickens at the time, I believe. And he also makes the connection with um, Shot Jackson to found Showbud. So I think between his genius and his like business acumen to just keep promoting the steel guitar, he absolutely made himself uh, the most prominent figure in pedal steel history. Now, man, I grew up on listening to like the records vinyl of John Huey, Tommy White. Who are some of your uh, other along with Buddy Emmons that you think just like stand out as like icons in the country music legacy? I'm so glad you mentioned John Huey. I, I, I wish he had more name recognition. Mm -hmm. um, his playing with Conway is just some of my favorite. Yeah, and uh, I I actually have an Emmons guitar with wooden necks, which is what he typically would play, um, and it just has such a warm sound. It's beautiful. Their version he also of the plays on is so crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Oh yeah, Tommy White's amazing too. Um, Lloyd Green, you got to you got to mention him, uh, Mister Nashville. Uh, he's still still gigging, still gigging and recording. Uh, there's not too many of the masters from that era of pedal steel still working. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I uh, I recently did a video um, with uh, Grady Smith. Yeah, that's how. I, that's uh, what made me want to get you on the show was after I watched that interview. Uh, that's awesome. I I had a blast doing it, but I was also uh, this it's this kind of question that got me in in trouble because it was like what are three pedal steel players that are the most important and then 
everyone was like, well, what about him? What about him? What about him? You found so out you're like, a Paul Franklin hater. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. And, but, um, it, it, you know, as many people as I could name, there's it's not enough. There's just uh-huh. so many great players. But um, I think, you know, the ones that really particularly influenced me, uh, as you mentioned, are John Huey, Lloyd Green, Buddy. And I would also mention um, uh, a newer player, Brett Resnick, okay. who is um, he he plays with a number of people, but um, probably most well known for playing with Kelsey Walden. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with Casey Musgraves for a bit. Um, he, he gigs with uh, Wheeler Walker Jr. He's played. I mean, he is an East Nashville staple at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I just love his playing and I'm, uh, you know, I'm lucky to call him a friend. So now getting into more of your work, uh, one of the artists you currently play for is Zach Bryan having a monster of a year. How did you guys meet and, uh, what's it like on the road right now with him? So it's a little bit of a long story if you don't mind. Oh no, go for it. Okay. So I, you know, I've always been playing, um, music. And particularly, I've been focusing on steel guitar for the last 15 years. But I've, I had a nine to five job at the same time. So, you know, I live in Pittsburgh. I was playing with Beagle Brothers. I was starting to record with other bands and getting into teaching as well. So I was very much invested in uh, being a musician, but I just didn't know how to uh, break out and do it full time. Yeah. Um, and my wife, she does web design. So she, you know, I had told this to her and she, she said, well, why don't you start by making a website? You know, like try to like put yourself out there, not just as a member of a band, but like as you're Reed Conley and like, this is what I do. Yeah. So she made me a website and then one of the first people to reach out to me uh, was, uh, Charles Godwin. Yeah. And at the time he had just put out his, um, debut album, Seneca, and it was recorded not far from Pittsburgh. Oh no! Uh, it was recorded in Beaver County. Uh, you know, he lives in Morgantown, West Virginia. So mm-hmm. that's only about an hour from me. And the studio is, uh, just as close. So I, uh, was invited to play a concert with his band and I got along really well with everyone and we did a couple more gigs. This is in 2019. And I was starting to feel like, you know what, this might be like, this might be like my ticket to like doing music full time. Yeah. Uh, Because his album was really starting to catch some traction. It's got great pedal steel on it by uh, Eric Haywood. Um, So and, and then 2020 happened. <laughs> so luckily I still had my job, but we also recorded Charles' uh, second album during, that, during lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, How the Mighty Fall. So we recorded that album. And then in, the, in 2021, that's when he came to us and said, guys, I'm going to start booking a national tour. And I want the whole band to be there i'm gonna get a sprint i'm gonna get a sprinter van and i'm gonna take you guys all over the country and so that's what put me into position where i was like well 
I've got to take a leap of faith. Yeah. I had a, a nice cushy job, uh, but this is what I really wanted to do. And so, you know, I talked to my family and I talked to my wife and my friends and everyone said, well, it's about time. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, I took the chance. I took the leap. This was last July, 2021. And I, love playing with Charles Godwin. I just can't say enough good things about him as a person, as a songwriter, uh, our band, Allegheny High, uh, so many good musicians and good people in it. Uh, I'm so, so lucky to play with them. And uh, he uh, got on Zach's radar. So Zach started like uh, talking about him online and we were like, whoa, this is crazy. So I guess they started talking and they were trying to find a show where uh, Charles could open for him. Mm -hmm. And we ended up booking like three weeks with him. And it was, it it was insane because, you know, at that point we were playing to like, you know, probably like hundred, 150 people at at the most. (laughs) And you, we get to our first Zach show. It's in Raleigh, North Carolina sold out 2000 people screaming every word i i had never seen anything like it Jeez, that's it, it was it yeah it, it really took me back so you know uh, we start uh going on the road with his band um i get very uh friendly with everyone in his crew they're all super nice great people and by the end of the year um kind of out of the blue, Zach asked me, do I want to record with him? I've got a song in mind that I want uh, Seal Guitar on. And it was Something in the Orange. No way. And at at first I thought, I didn't know if he was like joking or like I, (laughs) because I was not expecting it at all. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, no, no, no. I I want to fly you out. I want to record. We're recording in Seattle. And Let's do it. And so, you know, I, I went and I thought, this is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm so lucky that I get to record this one song with him. Yeah. So then at the start of this year, um, Zach was a surprise guest at one of our shows in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. He, he, he opened for Charles solo. <laughs> and I was like, Zach, do you want to try playing something in the orange and I'll just accompany you with what I did on the recording? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So we do it. It sounds great. And, you know, we're about to take a break because Charles had a second uh, child mm-hmm. in February. And then again, out of the blue, Zach texts me and says, Hey, do you want to like play uh, with my band in February? Okay. And I was like, do you mean just play something in the orange? Or he's like, no, no, play everything. (laughs) I was like, okay. And the first two shows were Webster Hall in New York and the Ryman. Wow. So I was a little bit scared (laughs) and spooked, but I was excited. So I, you know, listened to the songs, figured out parts for all of them. 
And I had seen the band play many times, so I knew how they sounded live. And after playing um, a couple shows, he was like, look, anytime you're not with Charles, I want you here. (laughs) And I was like, okay, let's do it. So, uh, you know, the whole thing is very surprising, but uh, I was, it's amazing how it's worked out. And especially because a good part of this year, Charles has been opening for Zach. Mm-hmm. So I get to play both, both sets. Now going off that, your nickname is Two Show because of that. How do you stay energized in between both sets, you know, having to come back and forth? Like, do you have to drink an energy drink in between the sets? Or is it just like the love of playing that just makes you want to go back out there? Yeah, a, a lot of people ask me about that. And honestly, uh, I get so energized playing music. It never feels draining to me. The other aspects of touring are draining, like travel, not knowing where, where you are when you wake up and like, where, where do I go find the bathroom? And like, you know, just getting reoriented with your surroundings every day. Uh, Those are the draining things. And, you know, um, I'm also trying to teach and I'm also trying to, you know, be a good husband and, you know, be a good uh, son and a, and a brother and all these things. Yeah. while i'm on tour so it's it, it's the juggling of life that's that's more draining but playing music is never draining for me i love it and i could play more sets wow now <laughs> on top of all that you also have your own project reed conley and his con artists you release some crazy good christmas music for everybody oh wow what was the idea for that and uh do you have plans to keep releasing stuff i am honored that you <laughs> mentioned that oh, yeah. um, yeah, that's so cool. Um, so the genesis of that is I, as I said earlier in the show, my dad has a large CD collection. He, uh, my parents love music and my dad has a particularly large Christmas music collection. Mm-hmm. Like he, he has like well over a hundred CDs of just Christmas music. So I, you know, it, it, it might just be how I was raised but I've always found Christmas music very interesting because it is this, it is like super niche in one sense that it's about, you know, one holiday, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you can put any style, any genre, any, any spin on it you want. And so I had this idea of making a Western swing um, type Christmas record. And where, where I come from lyrically, I would say is like comedy. Yeah. I like, I like to write from a comedic sense. I think my, probably my earliest music hero is Weird Al. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just love the intersection of comedy and music. And I thought this would be the perfect avenue to explore it in a Western swing sense. So, uh, Right now, there's I just have a single. I just have two songs, but I have other songs I've written that I do want to record when I get off the road. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's that's awesome that you brought that up. Thank you. <laughs> now you also uh, I, this probably was before you got on the road. You composed for two PBS documentaries. How did that come about? And like, 
Do they just give you kind of like an outline of what the vibe they're going for and you just submit a bunch of tracks? What's the process like? Yeah, so um, there's a, a pretty well-known documentarian in Pittsburgh. His name is Rick Seaback, and he's made uh, numerous documentaries for PBS. Mm-hmm. And his style is what's called a scrapbook documentary. So basically, he will uh, like take a trip and he'll take footage and create a narrate a narrative around the trip. So you know his like the two documentaries I did for him, one was about pie places. So he's traveling all across the country, just visiting different places and how they make pies. Okay. It's like taking taking a very simple concept, but then seeing all the different nuances and developments that occur all throughout uh, different parts of the country. For sure. The, the second one's about bakeries. So same yeah. thing. It's like how different people approach being a baker or making bread. Mm-hmm. So um, he was a fan. He is a fan of uh, the Beagle Brothers, the the band I played with in Pittsburgh. And so we had struck up a friendship and I had expressed to him that I, you know, I aspire to writing music for uh, movies or TV. And he, so he offered to have me do this for his shows. So basically um, we, I would go, sit with him and he would talk about the uh the inner styles that he wanted to write for yeah and he'd be like it's this long this is the vibe i want make something yeah so it's very very different style of writing music it's like writing for a commercial or something it's like you have to write for a certain length and to express a certain emotion Mm -hmm. and something that's not going to pull away too much from what he's saying but it was a really fun exercise for me and um, I'm very proud of it. And I would, I would love to do more of that in the future. Another thing I want to touch on is what do you think is it that makes like the steel guitar community, like so special and like close knit, you have the steel guitar forum, the steel guitar conventions every year. And it it just seems like Mm -hmm. there's no like cool kids table. Everyone's at sitting at the same table together, picking each other's brains. What do you think it makes it that everyone is like that in the steel guitar? Uh, you said it perfectly. Uh, I really don't feel like uh, there are big egos. I don't feel like there are people like gatekeeping or trying to vibe you out in the steel world. It it is such a small niche community. Like I, there's no way to tell for sure how many steel guitarists there are. I read a figure one time that there's fifty thousand people in the whole world. Think about how small that is. Right. That's like that's not even one percent of America. That's like that's like one that's less than one thousandth percent of the world yeah it's so small and so i think the people that are keeping alive and are passionate about it they generally are like me they're like very like nerdy and they want to uh just know a lot and are just passionate about it and so when we meet each other we just love sharing knowledge and discussing uh our experiences you know i just met uh, a steel guitarist that i've admired for a while uh neil jones who plays an american aquarium and i i follow him on instagram but i just met him lot uh in person for the first time and it's like we talked like we were like old buddies because it's just like having that common tongue of yeah. steel guitar uh you know we we know what it's like 
and we know what we're kind of striving for and what we're fighting against and the search for tone and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I love it. I mean, cause I see in other worlds, like how there is like a little bit of like bullying and gatekeeping and it's just, it's demoralizing to me. You know, I, that's not how I am as a person. I'm not a competitive person. I'm only competitive with myself, Mm -hmm. but to me, I feel like we all have a place here. Like I, I've used this metaphor before where, uh, I feel like everyone that plays steel guitar is on the same path and different people are are at different uh, points of the path. You know, some of my students are at the start of the path and like Paul Franklin is like very, very far down the path and I'm somewhere in between. But the, the point is that we're all on the same path and that you can always advance and, and reach out and seek the knowledge of other people for help. For sure. Now, I like to close all my interviews asking, what's a piece of advice that you would give to younger players out there, something you've learned along your journey that would help them get to where you are now? Well, um, I guess, I think the two things I would say is it's never too late. Like, my story is very odd. I'm in my mid-30s, and I just switched into playing music full-time. Yeah. And that's... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the old man in, in Zach's band and I, I don't care. I love it. I'm having a blast. Everyone uh, is so friendly and respectful to me. I mean, we just played in Pittsburgh last night and um, my parents came to see Zach for the first time awesome. and he was pass, passing around a poster uh, before the show and he was having everyone in Zach's band signed it. Everyone in Charles band signed it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be for the venue. And then he gave it to my parents. Oh, wow. And I was like very touched, you know. So I, so I, I would say it's, it's never too late to, to follow your dreams and make, a, and make a pivot in your career. And the other thing I would say is always lead with kindness because that's what's worked for me. Um, You know, everyone's going through different things out here in the world and we need to be respectful of that. But when we're talking about, you know, your profession and the connections you make with people, work hard and lead with kindness. That's, That's my motto and that's what has worked for me. Well, guys, there you have it, my conversation with Reed Conley. Reed, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had an awesome time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram, at Reed Conley. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Derek Klein, drummer for Dylan Scott. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.